I've been living in Ephesians 3 the past couple of days, specifically the prayer, the incredible prayer for us to really know and experience the dimensions of God's love. The whole prayer is incredible and worthy of memorization. It comes right in the aftermath of, of Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul's talking about the great mystery, the secret, the secret plan of God that has finally been revealed to the apostles and prophets, namely this, that God's forming a people from both Jew and Gentiles with whom he can abide. And that now Jew and Gentile in Jesus are being crafted, formed into a single temple in which God dwells by his spirit, Ephesians 2, 2, 2. And that's the great agenda of God that's been a secret in the past. We didn't always know it, but now we do. And so now that we know, Paul's here explaining and telling Gentiles about the endless treasures that are theirs in Jesus. To me, one of the questions I don't think we spend enough time pondering, reflecting on, is what is God after? I I know that I'm here to love God. That's my highest calling. But what is God after? Why? Why does he want my love? I'm just going to throw this out there, and I doubt I'll be able to say it with the eloquence that it should get. I wonder if somebody could humanize, maybe personalize God and consider something more than just their own needs in need of a savior, in need of a rescue, in need of a friend, a father, a home. And just for a second, reflect on what is God, what does God need? And you go, he needs nothing. I I know that. I know that a cattle on a thousand hills are his. He needs nothing. I 100% affirm that. We don't serve his needs as though he's deficient. He's not deficient. But what is he after is my point. What is the motive in creating? Part of me wants to just end the talk here and make you go home and reflect on it. The mystery is that God's now revealing he's forming a people with whom he can abide, a dwelling by his spirit, Ephesians 2.22. Then I flipped over to Revelation 21 and it says, now, now, it's John's given this vision and he sees the new Jerusalem, the people of God, and he says, now, I heard a voice saying, now the dwelling of God is with people. They will be his people. He will be their God. There's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, no more sin, no more death. Not even going to need a light because the glory of God will light them. The gates will never close because there will be no night. There won't be a temple there because we're just present with each other. And it's final. God's great dream is finally fulfilled. What is he after? And I can't make this land hard enough. I don't know how to say this with enough eloquence. I can say it and you go, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, that seems to check out. And then move on with your day. But I don't want you to move on with your day. I want you to sit in it. And I want you to cry about it. And I want you to feel God's priorities. He matters. He is a person. A person hopefully that you treasure, a a person hopefully that you care about, a person hopefully that whatever is on his heart matters to you because he's your your person. And you go, well, he's not a person. He's personal. And dude, I get it. I understand all the theological intricacies. But hear me now. God wants to be known. He wants to be known. He wants to be known.
so do you. You crave to be known, understood, loved. And God, as fully perfect love, must be known, craves to be known. It's what this whole drama's been about. We come alive in Him, and in some sense, His joy is increased as we know Him. He wants to be known. 